Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. Let us worship with our eyes and ears and fingertips. Let us love the world through heart and mind and body. We feed our eyes upon the mystery and revelations in the faces of our brothers and sisters. We seek to know the wistfulness of the very young and the very old, the wistfulness of people in all times of life. We seek to understand the shyness behind arrogance, the fear behind pride, the tenderness behind clumsy strength, and the anguish behind cruelty. All life flows into a great common life if we will only open our eyes to our companions. Let us worship not in bowing down, not with closed eyes and stopped ears. Let us worship with the opening of all the windows of our beings, with all the outstretching of our spirits. Life comes in singing, with singing and laughter, with tears and confiding, with a rising wave too great to be held in by the mind and heart and body, to those who have fallen in love with life. Let us worship and let us learn to love. Let us say our mission statement together that you find in your order of service and, of course, written on our wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This morning I have a story for you. It is based on the teachings of the 16th century Jewish mystic Rabbi Isaac Luria. Every people, every culture, every religion all around the world has at least one story about the creation of the world, and this is one of those stories. In the beginning, all that was, was the divine mystery that some people call God. We can imagine this God mystery as being like a giant sphere that extends in all directions as far as we can imagine. When God starts to create the earth and the stars, the galaxy and the universe and everything that is, God constricts a little bit to make room for the universe. God squeezes in and a hole opens up right in the middle of God. And that's where we are now, on planet Earth, in the Milky Way galaxy, part of the universe, part of creation, and all of it right in the middle of, surrounded by that divine mystery that stretches out in all directions. Now that there's room for creation, God fills some vessels, some containers with light. This divine light is divine essence. It's God stuff. And God sends the vessels to creation, and everything is going to be perfect. But then something goes wrong. The vessels contain, they cannot contain the divine light. They shatter, sending sparks of divine essence everywhere, all around the world. They are in rocks, in streams, in plants and trees, in every kind of animal from bees to elephants. Little lost shards of divine light. This is not at all what God had wanted. So God creates people to help lift up the divine sparks that are still scattered everywhere 
to piece the broken shards back together, to be partners with God in a continuing process of creation. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. I am happy to be here with you. Some of you might know that I have a background in Unitarian Universalism, having served for five years as the Director of Religious Education at two different congregations. The last two years of that time at your neighbor church to the north, Live Oaks UU. Sometimes spiritual paths can take unexpected turns. And so it was that a few years ago I found myself studying to become a UU minister at the local uh, Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, um, and having a profound experience in the Jewish tradition. Now I'm joyfully Jewish, and finishing up a master's in theological studies at that same seminary. Um, My religious journey is really not our focus this morning, but I wanted to let you know a little bit about where I'm coming from. It is my privilege to be coordinator of Texas Interfaith Power and Light, the environmental program of the Texas Interfaith Center for Public Policy. The Texas Interfaith Center is a 39-year-old statewide interfaith organization that offers people of faith the information, tools, and resources they need to effectively engage on public policy issues. In my work, I focus on environmental issues, and in that capacity, it has been my great pleasure to work with several of you. Eulas and the Halpins have been especially involved in recent efforts through our local affiliate, the Interfaith Environmental Network of Austin, and your own Reverend Barnhouse helped lead our Interfaith Worship Service last fall that was held outside the LBJ Library on the morning of the State Department's public hearing on the Keystone XL Pipeline. That was some mighty faithful witness. I know that this church community strives to put its values into action, and for that, I am thankful. Please keep it up. As part of my work, I visit with folks in congregations around the state about caring for the environment. In my conversations about these issues, I am almost always asked some variation of this question. Where do we find hope? This question emerges in a context of looking honestly at some of the environmental and related human challenges facing us today. It comes from religious people of different faith traditions who care deeply about the world we share and the life in it, and who know enough of the facts to feel some amount of despair. The way I see it, anyone working on environmental issues today, or any other social justice issues as far as I can tell, must wrestle with this question of hope and purpose. And if people are unable to find a meaningful answer, they won't be able to stay engaged for very long. People burn out, give up, shut off some piece of their hearts. It is so much easier to go shopping, turn on the TV, drink a beer. That's what the ads tell us to do anyway. There are those, too, who carry around a dark cynicism and a story about how once upon a time, they cared and tried to make a difference. And then they figured out the hard way that none of it really matters, so now they don't even try anymore. I've met some of those people. Maybe you have too. Without some kind of deep wellspring, the struggle of facing the world's troubles is too frequently too much. 
I want you to know that the sermon I had planned to give you this morning is not quite the sermon you're getting. It's close. <laughs> Within the last few days, though, I've read two recent essays about global warming that directly get at this question of hope. And I feel like we need to address them today, so that's what we're going to do. Before we go any further, um, let me issue a couple of disclaimers. First, these thoughts are my own and may not reflect the opinions of the Texas Interfaith Center. Second, because I know that language can be a barrier to understanding, I'm going to use the word God to mean that source of life in the universe that is called by many names. And I'll trust you to translate that word God and maybe even Christ into language that makes understanding and connection possible for you. The first article that's on my mind this morning is Bill McKibben's latest in Rolling Stone magazine. Maybe some of you saw it. It's on the subject of global warming, and it just came out a couple of days ago. In this piece, he talks frankly about the numbers of global warming, about acceptable temperature increases, and the fact that the world's economic and business systems are moving forward with operations that will put us way over and above those so-called acceptable limits. He also notes that so far, governmental systems have been unable or unwilling to make agreements or change policies in order to seriously address the very real threat of an ever more quickly warming world. The article paints a pretty bleak picture, and whether you agree with McKibben or not, it's worth reading. The second article I'm thinking about also paints a pretty bleak picture, of the road ahead based on the science of global warming. This is the article I'm going to most directly work with today. It's actually a sermon that UT professor Robert Jensen delivered a couple of Sundays ago at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, another neighbor of yours to the north. Oh, this um, sermon was published later on Alternet on the web. The title of the sermon is, Hope is for the Lazy, the Challenge of a Dead World. Even if you haven't read this sermon, I think you get some idea of the content just from that title. In this piece, Jensen argues that the systems of our world, patriarchy, capitalism, nationalism, white supremacy, and the industrial model, are dead and cannot be reformed or revived. He says, the death worship at the heart of those ideologies is exhausting us and the world, and the systems are running down noting that the task of creating new systems to replace the old is a monumental one in which the odds are against us. He writes, What we need is not naive hope, but whatever it is that lies beyond naivete, beyond hope. Now, what this hope beyond hope is, he doesn't exactly say. He does say that we won't win by praying for deliverance by the hand of God, or by putting all our hope in science and and he's right about that. We can't just sit around waiting for God to intervene and stop global warming. We can't rest easy thinking that technological fixes will make it possible for us to maintain our environmentally unsustainable lifestyles. It's not that easy. The way we're living right now is not sustainable. We will have to make very real changes in order to address the environmental problems that we've created. Jensen says that the world defined by those capitalist, industrial, consumer systems cannot be saved. What we need is something different. He says, 
There is always hope, but it is hope that lies beyond these systems, beyond the world as it is structured today. To be truly hopeful is to speak about a different world structured by different systems. Okay, Dr. Jensen, let's talk about that. The story that we heard this morning about broken vessels and scattered shards is one way that the Jewish tradition approaches the contrast that we humans feel between things as they are and things as we think they should be. We'll come, to this, we'll come back to this story here in a little bit. Another way that the Jewish tradition approaches this contrast is by talking about the olam hazeh and the olam haba, the world uh, as it is and the world to come. There is some question as to whether these worlds should be understood literally or figuratively, tangibly or mystically. Um, probably there's no one right answer. Some people hold on to the promise of a real, idealized, physical world to come, while others say that the world to come is really just every next moment, a moment of infinite possibility. In considering these contrasts in our world, the contrast between where we're at right now and where we'd like to be, the question becomes, how can we bridge the gap? How can we move the world closer to visions of how we'd like it to be? And is that even possible? Or is working for peace, justice, and an environmentally sustainable world really just a big Pollyanna fantasy of lazy hope and a waste of everyone's time? Dr. Jensen in his sermon said, we shouldn't distract ourselves by looking to someplace up there, somewhere above or beyond, something that we pray is just around the corner. And in one sense, I get what he's saying. Again, we can't expect some kind of divine intervention to save us from all our troubles. But I don't think we should too casually dismiss the power of prayer and prophetic religious vision. Because actually, I think we need those things to help transform our world. Let's talk about prayer for a bit. Prayer can take many forms, but the basic idea is that through prayer, a channel is opened between you and God. One time, a reporter asked Mother Teresa about prayer. What do you say when you pray, he asked. I listen, she said. The reporter paused a moment, then asked, Then what does God say? And she replied, He listens. In addition to regular prayer, Jewish tradition has a rich practice of saying blessings. Ideally, we say a hundred blessings every day. The basic idea is that for most of our regular daily actions, including eating and drinking, and also seeing beautiful trees or animals, smelling fragrant herbs, or studying Torah, we should give thanks to God. These prayers and blessings are a frequent acknowledgement and reminder that life is a gift for which we are grateful. But they do something else, too. Often our prayers and sometimes our blessings make radical claims about God's action in the world. Let's consider maybe the most common blessing, the blessing over food. It says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. But the bread that graces our tables doesn't come that easily, just springing forth fully formed from the ground. We're not eating manna that just falls from the sky. So what's going on here? Rabbi Lawrence Hoffman explains that this blessing is a statement of faith in a time to come when all will have enough to eat free of hard labor. 
In this way, the blessing connects our present reality to one that is promised or hoped for. The blessings bring a heightened awareness and gratitude for the present moment into our everyday lives a hundred times a day, which I love. At the same time, they keep that visioned world fresh before us as an imagined possibility. Now let's think for a moment about what this, what effect this continual invoking of God's majesty and of the world to come might have. I wonder if by praying and saying blessings, we are participating in calling that reality, the reality of the world to come, the world as God wants things to be, into becoming. Inbreaking is a word used by some theologians to describe the effect that this focusing on, calling forth, and visioning the world to come has on our world. And it's a good word, inbreaking. I like this word. Our prayers and blessings are a way that we can invite God and the world to come to break into our lives and our world to break in and begin to transform us in the here and now, in the world as it is. Jürgen Moltmann is a Christian theologian who writes about this transformative potential. He says, those who hope in Christ, and again, translating here, God, the divine, those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God, he says, means conflict with the world, for the promised future stabs into the flesh of every unfulfilled that last bit about the future, stabbing into the present, is that inbreaking. And what Moltmann suggests here is that when we hold fast to God and to visions of the world as it could or should be, then we more keenly see that our experienced reality is out of alignment with God's intent and hope. And we become change agents. As Rabbi Arthur Green says, there is nothing mere about poetic vision. In the story we heard this morning, God had one idea of how the world would be, but something went wrong. The vessels broke, and divine essence stuff scattered everywhere. We could look at that and say, oh well, this is a broken world. Nothing I am going to do is going to fix it. But according to the story, God created humans to participate in the work of mending. That mending, I'd like to suggest, is not about repairing the world and its systems as it is now. Rather, this is a deep, transformative, creative, creative in the sense of creating things kind of mending. We are to bring into the world a little holiness, to lift up divine sparks, to bring our lives and the world closer to God's vision of how things are supposed to be. Whether we achieve all the things we're working for in the world is not the point. I can tell you from personal experience that freeing yourself from a goal orientation can be very helpful in sustaining environmental and justice work. What matters isn't whether we win. What matters is whether we are faithful in thought, word, and deed to our highest visions, or if you're comfortable with such language, whether we are faithful to God. I completely agree with Dr. Jensen when he said, we don't become fully human through winning. We embrace our humanity by acting out of our deepest moral principles to care for each other and care for the larger living world, even if failure is likely, even if failure is inevitable. 
See, what really matters is that we're faithful. And being faithful in this time, as we face very real climate crisis, means taking action and not giving in to immobilizing despair. And here I think Jensen has another interesting point. In his sermon he said, The balancing of grief and joy is the beginning of a hope beyond hope. The willingness not only to embrace that danger, but to find joy in it. Now, those of us who care deeply about the world experience grief, yes, when we see things as they are. But do we find the joy? Where? The joy that Jensen says in balance with grief can move us toward a hope beyond hope. Let's hold that question for a minute. We're almost there. Karl Barth, a Presbyterian theologian of the 20th century, wrote, To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Let me say that again. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. When we pray and say blessing, when we invoke God's presence into our daily imperfect lives and this broken hurting world, when we hold before us a vision of how things could and should be, this is the first step in making real change possible. Even though the climate science is grim and the way forward unclear and perhaps bleak, even though it looks like the world might just be going to hell, we must hold on to the real and transformative power of prayer and story, and the deep, I don't want to say hope, the deep faith that comes with aligning ourselves with another vision of how the world should be. If all we do is focus on the trauma and despair of this world, then we will be consumed by it, I promise you. Let us instead call future, imagined, visioned possibilities of another world, a world to come, or maybe a world structured by different systems, as Jensen put it. Let us call that world into this one. And let us do so as we act to care for people and the planet. Because when we bring our actions into alignment with God's intent and hope for us and for the world, then pow, that is transformation. That is revolution. That is an uprising against the disorder of the world. Also, that is faithfulness. That is wholeness. That is joy. Living and acting in accord with our highest vision is the joy that leads us to a hope beyond hope. A joy that will sustain us as we continue the work of mending, even in the midst of brokenness. As Wendell Berry said, be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. <laughs> May it be so for us and for this world. Amen. Before we go forth from this place, let us pause for a moment with some poetry. This poem by Mary Oliver is called Song of the Builders. On a summer morning, I sat down on a hillside to think about God, a worthy pastime. Near me, I saw a single cricket. It was moving the grains of the hillside, 
this way and that way. How great was its energy, how humble its effort. Let us hope it will always be like this, each of us going on in our inexplicable ways, building the universe. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.